1 Thessalonians chapter 2, 9 to 13. So stop. Okay. That, who believe? Thank you. Yeah? Super. Well done. Thank you. That's 9. All right, we got there eventually. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And we also thank God continually because... When you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. I've just had a quick look round, and um, I can tell one or two of the dads who are present in the room from their portraits, which is very impressive. Um, not sure some dads are terribly impressed with that, but there you go. <laughs> Um, it's also been really good to have a look at some of the words that you're coming up with. So some of the things I spotted were positive, brings out the best in you, constant, um, always there. Um, another one that I've just had passed on to me was very good at practical things like teaching you how to use drill. All really good things in life. So summing up a dad or a father figure is really quite a difficult thing to do. Um, as James said, if this is... If this is a difficult thing for you to be thinking about, we're sorry about that, but if we can concentrate on the positive father figures that we either have known or can be, that will hopefully help. And obviously, God our Father is the ultimate father who, as Joe was pointing out, never lets us down, is, is never, has never got any of those human foibles that um, even the best human dad sometimes does something that we're maybe not quite so enamored by. Uh, God our Father is there and permanent and has everything right. We started off by focusing on the word father because it is the one that's in the passage. Um, I have done a little bit of research and that was appropriate for Paul and Silas and Timothy, I think it was, who were the people who were writing this letter. It was also appropriate because at that time and in that place, your mother was responsible for you for the early years and getting you physically to a certain age. And then your father's responsibility kicked in in terms of being responsible for your education and you becoming the person you were going to be. Um, so I think we can, from now on, having started with the father thing, we can move on to the word parent probably. Um, because these days, definitely in my experience, and uh, I know Paul's and other people's, it, it has been our mums and dads jointly that have helped in that development of us. And for some of us, we haven't had one or the other of those parents. So we're not trying to miss anybody out. We're thinking about those parental gifts and abilities and skills and strengths and the character of parents. So Paul and his companions had taken on these parental responsibilities in helping the people in Thessalonica to grow in their faith. And three specific things were mentioned. You've come up with lots and lots of brilliant ideas, but the ones that Paul actually mentioned in the reading we had there were encouraging, comforting, and urging to live lives worthy of God. So encouraging. If you here are a parent, then you have watched your little one, 
learn how to walk, haven't you? I would imagine that when they were learning to walk, you were encouraging about every tiny little bit of that that almost led to a step. And then after the first step, you were in really, really encouraging them and, and had a lovely smile on your face and were down at their level and you were calling them towards you and you were encouraging them to take another couple of steps. And, and if they fell down, you picked them up and gave them a hug and, and got them to try again or allowed them to try again when they were ready for it. If you are a parent of a slightly older young person, you might have gone through or be going through that teaching them to drive phase. Um, I gather in some families that's probably not the best thing for a family member to do for each other because you're encouraging emotions probably leave your body as they hit the accelerator and everything goes far too fast. But again, if you are good at teaching someone to drive, it will be because you're able to be positive, you're able to encourage them, you're able to gloss over the fact that that wasn't quite what you wanted them to do, but it's all ended okay. Um, not expecting expertise from the start. So if we're encouraging one another in our faith, we're not expecting expertise from the start. We don't all say, oh yes, I've decided to follow Jesus, I've become a Christian, I know it all now. I don't think any of us know it all now. So encouraging one another within the faith, the way Paul and his friends did, is starting from ground zero. Allowing questions, allowing confusion, allowing people not to know it all before they even start. We don't want people to only walk in that church door if they think they've got it all sussed because they'll be a whole lot better than the rest of us, and it will put people off for a very, very long time. Comforting. I would imagine comforting is something that you have to do in those midnight hours and beyond when somebody is struggling, if you're a parent, and you probably have to go out of your own way and cope with the fact that you're not going to be quite ready for work the next day because you've been up all night with them teething or feeling poorly or feeling scared about something. And when you're comforting someone, when you know they're worried or they're upset or something's gone wrong, you're not focusing on the negative. That's where the person who's upset is stuck. Parental role in those circumstances is, is not to say it doesn't matter, but to find something else to focus on instead. Reminding the learner of what they can do and how far they've already come. If they're feeling overwhelmed, you don't turn around and say, yeah, it's awful, isn't it? You, you find words and ways of expressing that actually, no, no it's, it, that's just one thing. We can move on from here. This is an end. We can keep going. And the one that is specifically to Christianity and our faith development rather than just general growing up, urging you to live lives worthy of God. That made me think of some kind of accountability, probably in quite a small group. We are a church family here, but it's a pretty big family. And within a big family, you, you probably spend most of your time with a few of those people and you get to know them best and you can tell just by looking at them what kind of mood they're in and you can support one another or you can celebrate with one another. So within our various small groups within the church, whether that's Sunday school groups or youth groups or small groups that meet on uh, weekdays, whether it's one of the teams that you serve on, all of those are places where we can have that accountability and urge one another to go on in our faith life rather than just plod on as though nothing needs to change. It's another time where praying for one another is really, um, really helpful and appropriate as well. So again, within those smaller groups, we can pray for one another really specifically, can't we? Rather than the prayers that we have from the front of church, we can have those very specific prayers. A few people who know what it is you're living with and who know how you're coping with that with God, whether you're having a bit of a, a tough time in terms of your faith or whether everything's going fairly easily at the moment, and, and then you could be the one doing the comforting. So Paul talks about that, um, the way that he has 
been a father figure to these people as they come on in their faith. But then he points out that even though he and Silas and Timothy had clearly helped them come to faith through the way they'd spoken to them, the way they'd lived, the way they'd explained things, the way they'd answered their questions, he talks about it being actually the Word of God that had been and continued to be at work in them. So in terms of the way that we learn, teacher training, and more recently my ordinant training, I've realized more and more that teaching people is often not just standing up the front telling them something like I'm doing now. So I'll maybe just go and sit down. Um, experience of doing something alongside someone. So if June's dad was teaching her how to do a drill, he probably not, did not say, right, well, this is how you do it, and read things out from the manual, and then send her off with a drill and say, off you go and have a try, love. Um, I would imagine it was probably more along the lines of doing it alongside, doing it together, you having a go and being watched, um, talking it through, seeing if there was another way of doing it, building up all that practice. Questioning. When I need to learn something new, I need to la ask lots of things about it. And I might not do that out loud. I might need to think of all the questions in my head first and then find somebody who can tell me a bit more about it. And then the more I ask questions and the more I get answers, it turns into a conversation that goes on, not just, well, this is the set answer. It becomes a, well, let's think about that together kind of questioning. Practice, like we were saying with learning to drive, I'm sure one or two lucky people in this world pick it up very quickly, but an awful lot of people need quite a lot of practice before that comes naturally. And some people process their thinking by talking out loud. They might not even be asking questions and wanting answers. They might just be thinking about it by talking about it as they do it or as they think it through. And all of these different things can be really effective in the way we learn. So I'm not going to ban the sermon on a Sunday morning because I think it has its, its benefits sometimes as well but it probably has its benefits in terms of planting seeds in our minds that we then go off and think about ourselves or go off and talk to somebody else about, maybe in our midweek small groups. Or when we're reading our Bible ourselves, we think, oh, that's, oh that reminds me of what so-and-so said the other day. And then we might have time to think it more deeply or investigate it in some kind of way. Just have a minute thinking about how we learn best. A minute on your own to think about something that a parent or a parent figure in your life taught you, a sort of specific thing, not, not that they taught you how to be a kind person, but if they actually taught you a skill or a, something along those lines, have a think about what was good about that learning and developing experience. Just have a little think on your own for a minute. If you want to share with anybody on your table, that's great, but don't feel you have to. So whatever those experiences are that you're thinking about and talking about, they won't all be the same thing. They might have some things in common, but they won't all be the same thing. But they will have in common that they were taught, by, taught to you by somebody who was embodied. This father or mother or parent figure that you're thinking about was physically in the place with you, unless they were teaching you over Zoom or down the phone line, but probably they were in the room with you embodying how to learn something, showing you how to do that and talking it through. So as well as God being our ultimate father in terms of faith and the fact that the word of God is at work in us, as the passage told us, I'm really pleased that he also gives us one another. So God the Father, through his Holy Spirit, is present with us, but not in a way that you can hold that hand or you can be shown exactly how to do something or you can have that question and answer session out loud 
but we have got one another, and God gives us that as a resource as we grow and develop in our faith. So again, a couple of minutes either on your own or on your table before we lead into the next little part of the service. Two things you might want to think about both, or one might be more relevant to you. Is there an area of your faith journey where you want to find someone who could help you as a mother or father figure? Is there something that you're wanting to go on with in your faith where it would be really helpful to have someone who's a kind of mentor who can be alongside you, who will cope with you asking all sorts of questions if that's what you need to do, who will show you how to do things, who will take you under their wing as they do some kind of service and you can learn alongside them? Or is there some way that you might be able to take on that parental role for somebody else? It doesn't have to be that you're older and they're younger. It could be that you're much closer in age than that. It could be the other way around. It could be that you are, are peers with each other. But some kind of role where you might be, advanced isn't the right word, you might be a little bit further along the journey or you might have some insight that would be helpful to somebody else. Is there a way that within our church family or within your family situation at home or within your work life or where you live, is there a way that you could be thinking about nurturing and building up somebody else feeling that that's the calling God's given you in the next little while. So I'm going to shut up, let you have a chat about that or have a think about that on your own, and then James will come up and lead us into the next part of the service in a couple of minutes' time.